Hello and welcome to another installment of Behind the Fourth Wall, the podcast where we delve into movies, TV, and other pop culture news. My name is Ivan and I'm joined today by my co-host Emmett. And today we'll be discussing The Mandalorian Chapter 15, Season 2, Episode 5, The Jedi. There is a lot to unpack in this, so (laughs) let's see how this goes. Yeah, and Uh, I think we should start with, you know, the actual title. So in similar fashions that we've seen in past episodes, the title doesn't always mean the focal character, I think. Um, or it might be a little bit misleading because a lot of people would think that Ahsoka is the Jedi that it's referencing, but it's probably referencing Grogu, which is the child or baby Yoda, as everyone knows it now. Um, but I think we should start off with history of Ahsoka. Well, Ahsoka is a, I guess, a pretty important character now for the Star Wars lore, especially the last couple of years or so. She's been getting more of a boost in, uh, in the pop culture scope. But basically, she's yeah. the apprentice of Anakin Skywalker um, during the Clone Wars. And she chose to stop her pursuit of becoming a full-blown Jedi Knight and left the Order. Uh, she basically gave up her uh, her role as a Jedi Knight um, after an issue she had with the Council, where they basically didn't seem to have her back. Um, they, so yeah, she they, like lost trust in her and like didn't have her back. So I think she ultimately, like her decision was based on seeing the corruption in the Sith but and a similar corruption in the Jedi, um, that kind of felt her, like, left her with those feelings of betrayal. Yeah, that and a very salty and unapologetic Mace Windu line delivery there, too. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd walk away, too. <laughs> but yeah, she um, is so important because um, Filoni and George Lucas collaborated when uh, Filoni was working on the Clone Wars series. So we see her a lot in that series. That's, she's pretty much like the focal point of that whole series, I would say. Um, and yeah, then she has a prominent role in Rebels. Yeah, she, she's been, I guess, Dave Filoni's big um, contribution to Star Wars lore. Uh, and yeah. I, I guess at this point, one of the few Jedi that survived um, Order 66, which it seems like every time they're expanding the lore a little bit more, you get a couple more of those sprinkled in there. So... Palpatine didn't do as good of a job uh, <laughs> eliminating all of them as he thought he might have had. Right, and there there were flaws in his plan, too. Um, I mean, his plan was to wipe out as many as possible, um, which works when their Jedis are surrounded by uh, like a battalion of clone troopers because they, the switch was flipped in all of them at the same time. But it doesn't work for anyone who is not with the battalion of clone troopers or who is a child who has yet to be discovered uh, by the Jedi Order who is Force-sensitive. So it doesn't eliminate it 100%, but what it did was eliminate the majority. So yeah, getting to hear from people who survived the Clone Wars or who survived Order 66 uh, is pretty cool because then you get to hear like what their story was. It also adds another layer of, I guess, complexity to, to the lore, which is actually kind of fun to kind of tread along because... If you stick to the main series, um, at the end of Return of the Jedi, once uh, Yoda passes on um, and it's just Luke, you're led to believe he's the last of the Jedi left. Right. Though, I think in the grander scope of it, true, right? But um, perhaps not. He's probably like the last of the formerly trained Jedi. Hey, like given like if they if they were giving out like jedi certificates or something i think there, there's no other greater legitimate uh training you can get than yoda right so in a way from a certain point of view <laughs> it, it he is the last of the jedi but yeah at, um, at, in a certain yeah for that timeline and for what we knew then but then obviously through shows like rebels we see there's other ones that had that were apprentices at the time and had some sort of training as well um so it's it's nice to get to see more people, um, but that's that's just a little history of Ahsoka, and that's why a lot of people have been fanning out so hard about hearing her name in the past episode, because she's a big deal in a lot of the clone series or the cartoon series that um, should have been a big payoff. And I mean, we we do get that in the first scene of this, which I think you and I talked about. We both love that they didn't waste any time; they went right to it, and they went right to her fighting. Yeah, I I. S- I saw this pretty, pretty early on. I had a case of um, 
not wanting to go to sleep. <laughs> so I actually ended up watching this like at three in the morning. <laughs> I know. Um, but I, I was immediately um, surprised pleasantly, I guess, by the fact that they just they didn't have any build up to it. They just immediately got you to it in a very, very, uh, very reminiscent scene to Vader's uh, hallway scene from Rogue One, but kind of like a light side spin to it. Uh, we see Ahsoka clashing with looks to be some sort of like militia. Um, yeah, they were their uh, closed caption credited them as um, like a scout trooper. So I think what they were doing were scouting out the the fields uh, outside of the walls of the city. So I, I, on, on my second viewing, I kind of noticed that they look like the mud troopers from uh, from Solo. Um, some a little I, bit, yeah. So are they? So I guess they're not really militia then. They're 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 imperials. Yeah, I mean, maybe the didn't the magistrate have imperial ties? So I guess that would make sense. And the planet is also kind of simple, similar to the mud troopers. But I mean, anyone who wears a mask is kind of similar on the on the dark side. So uh, it's a not super easy to tell that way, but. Yeah, you mentioned it. It looked like Rogue One to you. To me, I, I had um, these flashes of the opening scene of Rise of Skywalker when Kylo's retrieving the Wayfinder and fighting his way through Mustafar. It was like that kind of action of slipping through like smoke and trees, um, which was pretty cool. I I, li- I liked seeing the, this as the opening, and it goes against what we were guessing last time, where we thought Ahsoka was gonna be the payoff at the end of the episode, but here we are. We get her. Right off the bat, which I think is great. Don't waste any time. I'm glad to be wrong on this case. <laughs> yeah, I am too. Because when you get a whole episode with her, um, and it really progresses the story, which is something that they're kind of lacking on the second episode of this season. And that's, uh, I think they had this all planned out, which is great. I still think that second episode could have just been like back half of the first and first half of the third <laughs> yeah well we can't go back and fix it but they're certainly doing a good effort of of trying to i'm just glad frog lady's gonna get her own spin-off show at some point <laughs> the, the romantic rom-com of the season yeah they should <laughs> you need more diversity on disney plus so <laughs> yeah but the frog anyway. species is underrepresented <laughs> so it looks like Ahsoka's out on a mission. Obviously, she has a grudge against the um, magistrate who's revealed to basically be holding this whole village or city hostage. Right off the bat, for one, I feel like the whole little sequence that we see here of her fighting, Ahsoka fighting the troopers, very, very, very different from the the Jedi way, kind of, so to speak, right? Like, you yeah. don't. Like I, I'm, and I'm just considering like Luke is the other Jedi that we know of out there at, around this timeline. Considering this versus Luke's um, rescue of his friends at Jabba's palace, she takes a more offensive approach <laughs> to uh, to getting the job done than he does. So very yeah, great of her. Really, he doesn't really kill any enemies in that. I think he maybe does one or two. But what he tries to do is like the path to success with the least amount of casualties um which just talks to how her character has developed over the years after leaving the order she kind of realizes like ideally you don't kill people as we see that at the end uh she makes sure to note that like oh we got to make sure the prisoners are freed because she's going to try and kill them but she doesn't make that her priority or she's not held hostage so to speak to to the ransom of of prisoners at the beginning yeah, that was a very quick, um, very decisive approach that she takes. And like, oh, well, you're going to torture them? They're already suffering under your rule anyway. So um, it's just kind of like another further thing of like, th- she's not your traditional Jedi, so to speak. Right. But her fighting style is awesome to see. It's exactly like the cartoon series, which is great to see them pull off um, live action wise. Yeah, it was, it was very smooth. Um, and then also a lot of... I guess for her, it's very like speed and agility is the key to to her success in fights. And I was very surprised that they were able to keep that intact here. Because, I mean, I, I, I always think that whenever you're translating stuff from um, cartoon or even comics to live action, sometimes the result isn't quite what you wanted it to be. But over here, it, it felt pretty smooth. 
especially with like fighting using the force for your jumps or your speed obviously the the behind the scenes is you know guide wires and that's very easy to be like oh they're on a guide wire you know but they pulled it off where none of her running her jumping looks like it's like she's not actually doing it what do you think of those li- white lightsabers too? Like on uh, live live action. I know we've seen them on Rebels, but I feel like the style over there was very like thin. There were like very thin lightsaber blades on that show, um, and over here on on this, it's like a much thicker, almost prequel looking. Um, I love I love the expansion of the lightsabers. Um, I mean, we've always just been green, blue, and red, and then you know, obviously Mace introduced purple. Uh, Ray introduced yellow in Rise of Skywalker for like five seconds. Uh, for five seconds, <laughs> not a huge payoff there, but I like the expansion of it. Um, and it, I don't think it ever really needs explanation as to what it means. I mean, I would love that um, if somebody confirmed, like, oh, green was for people who chased like the knowledge or pursued the knowledge of the Force, while blue was like fighting style or whatever. Um, Maybe if there was like a little nod to that, but I also don't know like how you can work that in casually. There, there used to be something, but I feel like they kind of tossed it away. It was like blue meant like Jedi Knight and Jedi Padawan, and then green was for like anybody that had more of a force. Um, like they relied more on force ability than right than, than lightsaber strength, and then yellow was like a Temple Guardian's lightsaber. Right, but <laughs> I I don't think you can kind of weigh it that way either. After they've expanded the lore so much, I don't think there's right. like a direct um, point to kind of point out like that. But I don't think we've seen white lightsabers at all. If I'm trying to recall back on anything else that we've seen as- aside from Ahsoka, but I mean like I don't no. think anybody else in the lore has them. And you also don't really see uh, dual wielding Jedi's either uh, that often, which is another cool. Aspect of her fighting style. Yeah, she's got those Dooku um, lightsaber hilts, but they have this little like bend <laughs> yeah. to them. You notice that? Yeah, I like those. It, they're, they're cool handles for sure. But that, the the next big thing that we would want to talk about is probably when Mando re- arrives on Corvus and meets with the magistrate um, after getting past the guards by declaring that he's part of the guild. He's like hesitant to. Uh, confirm that he is because he knows that that puts a like a bounty on his head with certain people but clearly it got him by um got him by the guards fine on this occasion i kind of saw it as like it kind of lended more credibility to him yeah because he could he's a good judge of character as we've always seen um so he could kind of tell that the guy asking questions was also a hunter yeah he, he would respect a guild member yeah, or I love that he was flaunting around his price, though. I think to everybody who kind of came up with it, he's like, hey, my rates are high, bro. Like, <laughs> Well, have you seen his armor? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into his armor <laughs> that confrontation scene later. But, yeah, he, he, he immediately is like, yeah, yeah, I'm a hunter. I, he's kind of like in the freelance world. Any, any, anybody who's like a good editor is always like, yeah, bro, I can edit your piece for you. <laughs> but it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you quite a bit. That's basically what he was doing. He was just flexing his rate to everybody. Yeah, yeah. But then that does earn him an audience with the magistrate who shows off a full-on spear of Beskar, which was pretty cool to see. Um, also, kind of weird to see. I haven't really heard of any like Mandalorians wielding spears as if they were like part of the 300 army, but... Uh, I'm sure he can find good use for it in future fights. It's kind of weird. You're, you know, throughout the whole show, they're always talking about how they were basically pillaged for the Beskar. Um, and right. out of everything the Empire could make with that stolen Beskar, <laughs> they they make a spear. Yeah. I wonder if it's because, um, like, I'd, I would have to go back and rewatch to confirm this, but I feel like they said that it's a hard metal to um like forge with so maybe it was already pre-forged maybe i i get yeah that that could be the case too otherwise like you wouldn't need an armor in the mandalorian culture like you wouldn't really need someone to specialize in it um that's true 
but I, I would have to go back and confirm that. So definitely don't quote me on that. But yeah, if they were smelting the iron or whatever it is, um, it is kind of weird that they chose to go with that. But she seemed to know how to fight with it later on in the episode. So maybe she made it specially for herself. She's played by Bruce Lee's goddaughter. So I think they gave her the focus on it just for that. It's like she's, she's a pretty big deal in the like stunt community. Right. Which pays off for that final fight so that she can like do her own stunts and they don't have to like avoid shooting her face in the in the in the shots. She probably had a high rate too. So. <laughs> <laughs> um but I was actually thinking about the uh in this city, it kind of reminded me of um the city being Kaladin uh on Corvus. The kind of reminded me of Navarro in season one where it's like under occupation of an ex-imperial officer and like the streets or the people in the streets are not like overly cheerful. But we saw them this season once they've been liberated that, you know, they're all the markets have reopened. Everyone's like having fun, making jokes in the streets, have a, they have a new school there. Um, and then you kind of see some of that similar joy come back to this city at the end of this episode. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's that's a good point to make because he Mando immediately picks up on the hostility um, right before he's taken to the magistrate. I think he yeah. has a quick. Um, he wanted to strike a conversation with one of the residents in town, and the guy immediately is like, "Hey, please don't talk to me." Yeah, <laughs> who must have been like the previous mayor or governor or whatever it's called in their world, but because um, he's given back the the chains and the title at the end of the episode. Either that or they're passing around the cloak at the end. <laughs> <laughs> so easy to, to get into office there. <laughs> but he takes on the mission to... Uh, or actually, he doesn't really take on the mission to uh, from the Magistrate to hunt down the Jedi. He actually... Um, you, you pointed this out to me, but um, he doesn't verbally say, like, yes, I'll take on your mission for the in exchange for the spear. He actually just says, where do I find this Jedi? which is basically the question he was going to ask the townspeople. So he ended up getting free information and he gets to like see the magistrate's hand and like understand who's guarding her, like get a body count of the number of guards, what weapons does she have at disposal? Um, so he got a lot more than he was uh, originally bargaining for. Yeah. He was definitely trolling them, I guess for, for information or just kind of leading them on for it. Cause he never verbally agreed to anything. And it took me my second viewing to kind of um, figure that out because he did, he does mention it later on. I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't agree to anything. And I, right. I, I thought I thought he did. <laughs> I thought I know, he did, I did too. <laughs> but that's very clever writing, um, and it just goes to show that like the majority of this show is in those lines. Um, so if you're not already watching it with you know subtitles on, I definitely recommend it just because you get characters' names. You get exact wording of what uh, the script was meant to say. And then you also pick up on like things in the background. Um, like when he was entering into the garden of the magistrate, like the prisoners were like whispering to him, like she's going to kill us all to hit, like to Mando as if trying to like plead for help right there. Um, which is something that like you can't really hear, but it's written down there for you. So I definitely recommend it. Yeah, I started doing that after you pointed it out, I think maybe two episodes ago, that there were certain details that were coming out on there. And there's a lot more information that they share on it. So definitely, I second that. But the major scenes of this of this episode um, take place in the forest of Corvus outside of the city, where Mando um, confronts Ahsoka. Yeah, uh, they get into a brief scuttle in the beginning, and I... I think I wrote it down in my notes here, but like I was actually kind of impressed by the way that he was actually able to kind of hold his own against a uh, lightsaber wielder. Yeah, I mean, we didn't know how Beskar interacts with lightsabers. We knew that it deflects bullets pretty well, um, or lasers, I mean. So it's cool to see that he's able to hold his own there, but I, I definitely think Ahsoka is like holding back a little bit. I mean, he wasn't an easy kill for her. But she would have won that fight for sure. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. I just feel like, I just feel like, um, well, 
I don't know if it's, it was in this show or in just like expanded lore, just because I have all this baggage of like background knowledge of stuff. But um, there, there, there are points in in expanded lore where it's kind of like emphasized that oh, Beskar or and Mandalorian armor is lightsaber resistant. I don't think we've ever seen that though. I remember now. And I'm trying to think back on Clone Wars because I feel like there were scenes where they would just like slash their jetpacks and they'd go off flying and blow up somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So. So I was like, wait, so how, how resistant is Beskar? Is it maybe that because his armor is fresh and new that he's able to kind of do this? Because we've seen that armor take a beating this season. Ever since he's got it, he's been more willing to throw his body on the line. Um, which, yeah, does it wear down over time? I don't know. Um, that's definitely something to look into uh, as the seasons progress. Because he does he is building up that fighting style of like recklessness um, in order to get the enemy like fully exposed yeah but, but he he blocked our shots pretty well too though because he's like throwing up his forearms in the right ways and i was like one missed shot and he she's, she'll like cut off a finger or something right yeah so it's definitely like she was kind of taking it easy on him a little bit i would say or maybe like underestimating him a little bit um but i was also expecting maybe not in this scene but throughout this episode a little bit more distrust of her since one, he's so protective of the child, um, and two, he also was like told the Jedi are ancient enemies of Mandalorians. Maybe because Bo-Katan is insinuated that she was friends with Ahsoka, that he trusted her. But like, I don't know. It still it seemed like he was willing to, you know, dump the child with her a little too fast. Yeah. So I. I think I felt the same way with my first viewing. When I went back and saw it a second time, it kind of seemed like to me, um, and I might be reading too much into it too, but I, to me it kind of seemed like he wasn't really wanting to give him up throughout the whole thing, but whenever it came time to like, hey, I was tasked to deliver it to you, he, he kind of said it a little bit more with like assuredness, I guess, uh, for lack of a better term, but he seemed more yeah, but confident every time he but whenever it came time to actually deliver upon that, he he kind of he really hesitated. No, the hesitation was more because of the bond that Ahsoka was describing was definitely a two-way street. Like he was definitely, I know what you mean. Um, at the towards the very end, he's like, "Okay, it's time to say goodbye," and then like he there's like a solid like minute or two there where he's just like holding the child and like looking at him and like communicating how they would communicate, sort of. Um, where I think it's not a hesitation of like, I'm, I don't want to leave you with this person. It's more like, I just don't want to leave you. Yeah. I was expecting like an old yeller kind of scene where he's like, just get out of here. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> White banging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Throwing rocks at him or something and be like, get out of here. Go get your training. But um, it is cool to see that Ahsoka was able to communicate and, um, get all this history from, Grogu, who we find out is the name of the child, and when Mando says Grogu two times, like the child just like immediately looks up, like, "Oh, you know my name now!" Like, um, it's pretty cool to see that. Dude, okay, so quick, how? What do you think of the name on a scale of one to ten? <laughs> or like how? I mean, to I'm, me, it sounds I'm, Star Wars. I'm indifferent. Yeah, I don't really care what they picked as the name. I like that they delivered a name. Um, because saying the child or baby Yoda is kind of annoying. Um, I would have maybe preferred if they stuck in the Y family, just because it seems like that species so far has only been Yoda and Yaddle. So it's like, maybe stay within that realm. But then if they do, are they trying to be too much like those other two and insinuate that he's like this, that Grogu is the offspring of them or something like, I don't, (laughs) I don't mind what they chose. They could have gone with Yogu and they would have brought up too many questions. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I was like, but then that's basically just changing two letters of Yoda. And then everyone's going to be like, oh, this confirms that it, he's the child of those two. It's like, maybe it just let it be its own thing. Yeah, I think that's why they went with, with Grogu. Because I feel like they wanted to go something like very different that you can't really accuse them of like, oh, you're just settling for the right for the same kind of like naming convention they use for the other two supposedly they had the name picked in season one though and they were just waiting for a time and a way to 
deliver that to the to the crowd. This is a good way to do it too. Although it, it is, it's kind of sad though when you really think about it that nobody can actually understand him. It's just a matter of like they were communicating through the force in a way. Right through like meditation, it looked like. Um, but it would have been, uh, I guess, the only other time that it could have made sense is if um, like Moff Gideon when he was giving everyone's name. <laughs> maybe that would have been the time. <laughs> uh, but I think they realized like maybe that's a little too much since we're giving you what mando's name is and like all that stuff so uh we'll do like one thing at a time so i i liked how they did this but the thing that i was wondering is should we care who snuck him off coruscant or should um, we just not care i'm led to believe you're not supposed to because they don't really dwell on it all that much but i i think that inevitably especially in like the star wars fandom everybody's gonna nick like pick this apart and be like who did it i'm already seeing like on social media a lot of people being like oh this confirms that mace windu snuck in and took him out oh my gosh i, like, I, <laughs> I don't see him carrying him with like one hand <laughs> also he's kind of well, had to survive all that fall i am easy i easily buy into theories surrounding mace windu <laughs> so i will stay away from that one but um i guess it i know i shouldn't care um, and this will, like you said, probably be one of those points later on when everything else has been answered, when there's nothing left to pick apart, we'll come back to this and be like, who was that? Um, and I think what that does is maybe set up a, you know, a loose thread for a future series to pick into. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think it really matters and I don't think we'll see him again, but perhaps you don't know, like when he goes to the next planet the person who responds to him might be like, yes, I know who the, who Grogu is. I snuck him off Coruscant during the Order 66. It's the janitor from the Jedi Temple. <laughs> it's just some random person. He's like, I got to get this guy out of here. <laughs> I, I do want to talk real quick about the setup and the, the scenery and the way that that whole sequence was shot because it, it was very beautiful the way it was shot. It's like you have moonlight in the background you have Ahsoka and Grogu communicating through the Force, and Mando kind of nervously pacing in the background, like a like a nervous father waiting to yeah. get like test results back from the right. doctor. <laughs> um, and and there's also a quick little scene because she name drops Yoda, because yep. she says, "I've only known the one other being like this, and it was a wise Jedi Master Yoda." And the minute, and this took me my second viewing to go back. And one of my friends pointed this out to me. It was like, when she says Yoda, he, the, the child is in the middle of kind of sleeping while, while she's talking to uh, Mando after the fact. Right. Um, and he immediately wakes up the minute that she says Yoda and she, he like quickly like looks at her real quick and she kind of gives him this like little nod. Understood. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. That was and, definitely there. And then they also play like Yoda's, music right they do but that whole little scene like he looks at her and she kind of like affirms him gives him this like little silent nod to 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 grogu and he like looks down really sadly it's almost like he's kind of asking her like oh is, is he still around and he she basically kind of maybe <laughs> yeah. confirms that he's dead um and it, but it's little things like that that build this series up so much because they pay attention to those little fine details and i just didn't want to get out of the scene before we talked about that real quick because kudos to to them for for paying attention to that sort of thing because it's it's really nice when you notice those little uh pieces that are just kind of built in there for um for i guess for detailed deconstruction's sake yeah and i think that is a great one to bring up too because they did so many of these little things this episode um and one thing that i really liked with grogu's character is that he was kind of like immature up to this point because no one could understand him and he also like i don't know if he didn't remember his past or like just whatever and like ahsoka unlocks it a little bit but he he like instantly matures in this moment because now you un now you know he is like sentient he has thoughts he has memories and you also kind of see that they they have this little um moment i guess where you start to kind of realize that there is a reason why his force abilities aren't really seen all that much. Right. He has to hide to protect himself, which is like a learned character trait, which is definitely a mature thing to do. 
Yeah. Yeah, it it just adds another layer of complexity to him because initially I thought, well, he's a baby. He probably didn't receive all that much training. But now right. the revelation that he was on Coruscant, he was trained by several Jedi Masters. Um, yeah, he's competent enough to know all this stuff, but because he's gone through years of hiding it, it's kind of suppressed. Yeah, and then the other big thing in this scene is when, she, or I guess actually it's the next scene when they're testing his abilities is when she like refuses to train him because she sees the attachment between the two that we've been highlighting throughout this whole season and the whole series, really, um, this father-son relationship. There, There's love there, and she knows that that is a potential path to the dark side, alluding to Anakin, um, because she was the, the Padawan of him and saw what that does. Um, and actually, interesting thing that I guess we knew about before but i just hadn't really realized was grogu was born the same year as anakin i don't know if that means anything or not but both born in the year 41 bby so could there be a good potential like connection between the two like a strong force being two of them being born in the same year i don't know what the odds of that are but interesting the odds are that yoda and yaddle did something interesting the night a couple nights, nine months before Anakin was born, and something happened. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. Like, it, it is interesting <laughs> that they made them the exact same year. Um, which is just so weird. Like, he's already, like, Grogu would have been at the Jedi Temple for, what, like, 11 years leading up to when Anakin got there? Mm, just about, yeah. So, I, I, but also the high midichlorian count, right? Because, right. Is it simply, oh, he's a he's a force wielder, so we definitely need his midichlorian, like his blood for the midichlorians he has? Or is he special like Anakin in the sense that he has similar um, midichlorian count to, to what he had? Because they made a big deal about Anakin's midichlorian count in Phantom Menace as well. Um, maybe. Maybe there's something that kind of ties them together. Maybe somebody else, another Jedi Master similar to Qui-Gon, was also like, hey, maybe this guy's a chosen one. So let me <laughs> Good take event. him off into the temple and see, you know, I don't know, figure that out later. <laughs> yeah, putting more eggs into more baskets there. <laughs> yeah, it could be. It could be that. I mean, like, I, I feel like we are supposed to, at some point, latch on to that because like why make him 50 years old if, if not to kind of bring attention to that same point right um and then they agree to uh exchange ahsoka training grogu for uh, mando helping her with the mission um anything else before we move on um i guess the only other thing just to not to like play out the detail thing but Little Easter egg at about 15 minutes, 32 seconds or so on the episode. We see uh, the little convoy that seems to follow Ahsoka around, which is this little owl-like creature. Um, Anybody who, if if you've seen um, Clone Wars, there's a particular interesting arc on this planet called Mortis. And there's just a lot of symbolism to that episode. And one of them is that little owl-like convoy creature. And they seem to... Have her have her follow Ahsoka around, um, and Rebels and Clone Wars, and then now here. So interesting little detail. Yeah, that, that's a fun one and pretty easy to miss too. Um, even if you've seen like the Clone Wars or anything like that, um, probably doesn't have too much to contribute to the story other than just being like a fun nod. Um, there's a lot of like cat and mouse fighting between the streets. I think that was just a nod to um, Mando's planning, saying if you were to take on the firepower of all of them at one time, you wouldn't succeed. And she was like, yep, I agree with you. Um, so what they do is try and lure them into the streets where their numbers kind of count for less. Um, so it goes to show that like, you know, they're both have like have a strong, you know, mental capacity for militia for fighting um and then also shows like their trickery with throwing like uh, the best car armor and pretending like the uh the that mando was defeated um i thought that was like a fun little strategy 
Yeah, it was very. They they made quick work of of freeing the town, like, uh, <laughs> pretty pretty quickly. Um, and I like the that they have the um, I guess appropriate class of characters confront each other. Ahsoka versus the magistrate, Mando versus the uh, hired gun, played by Michael Bain. Right from the Terminator too, right? Yeah, he was the. Um, he was the, in a lot like, of like sci-fi movies. Yeah, he's basically like the same type of character over and over again. <laughs> the show has a tendency to just bring in like the Timothy Elephant kind of folks over. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, they. I like that they that they did that. Um, and they both made they made like two different standoffs where kind of was like a western vibe of a quick draw shootout between Mando and like a samurai showdown between Ahsoka and the magistrate. Um, but yeah, it would have been weird to see them fight the reverse characters. One thing that I wanted to pay off more that didn't happen at all was, and this is not important at all, but they kind of like keyed the camera in on the magistrate feeding whatever was in the water at the beginning of the episode. And Maybe they took what I said to heart last week where I said I'd like my foreshadowing to be less overt, but this just didn't pay <laughs> off where they then zoomed the camera in on the water in the actual fight at the end and nothing came out of it. Like when Ahsoka's lightsaber went in, I thought like a animal or like a fish or something was going to catch it and like spit it out to the magistrate and it would have been like a cooler fight. But it's totally fine that nothing happened there, but it's just a little weird to like waste any seconds on her feeding the whatever was in the water. Yeah, I guess it was like uh, maybe just like a way to kill a little bit of time and have her do something instead of just standing there. But yeah, I was also kind of expecting some sort of creature, or some sort of like backup because she seemed pretty confident in her ability to right. But she was getting kicked around the ring <laughs> if it was just sword to sword combat. I did like that it seemed like Ahsoka was more so toying with her than anything else because like she could have easily just like handed her her own you know her own rear <laughs> um, yeah she wanted to like disarm her and show her that like you're never gonna win this fight just tell me the information that I want to know yeah made quick work of it but also like I I, th- I thought the fight was very nice and very elegant and the first time we see a pure Beskar weapon versus um, lightsaber blades yeah so i think that um you know not to jump into like predictions or whatever but i think that definitely <laughs> yeah i think that definitely de- will come back to play now that it's in mando's hands um and it, i think it ties back to what we were talking about the potential soldiers of moff gideon if they're wielding um you know like inquisitor type blades or something that's like anti-jedi or maybe a Sith related, I think he might need to use everything he's got um, in his Beskar pocket, you know, having the armor to block shots or hits, having the sword to fight back or the spear to fight back. I think that's definitely going to come into play there. Yeah, he's definitely unlocked another key item and like unlocked another skill Upgraded tree. Weapon. Yeah, he got another <laughs> skill point off of the skill tree. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I also got the same feeling. It's like that spear is definitely going to come in handy when he eventually confronts Moff Gideon. Yeah, and he's a master of arms, so I assume that he knows what he's going to be doing with that, like how to fight with it. Um, but it'll be interesting so. to see if he's like so used to fighting with guns that he doesn't know how to handle like close combat um, and maybe needs his own training at the same time that um, Grogu receives his, if that happens this season? Well, we've seen um, we've seen him be able to handle his own with uh, with wooden spears before. When was that? For the <laughs> listeners out there, because I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> his time as Prince Oberyn on the Game of Thrones. Although hopefully he doesn't oh. find a uh, the, he doesn't fight the mountain wearing full Beskar steel here, because it will not go well. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, I was thinking of that too. <laughs> well, thankfully, he's got a whole helmet to protect him this time, so his eyes are good. And if the helmet comes off, he might as well lose anyway. But <laughs> this is kind of where the episode... I I kind of wish it would have ended, 
before this question, but when Ahsoka asked about Grand Admiral Thrawn, this is kind of where I was like, this enters into a realm of where I'm not at yet in my canon yeah. uh, knowledge. So now I kind of wish I could take back some of the things I've said before where like Favreau and Filoni have made a series where it appeals to the people that, you know, are casual watchers and also the people that are, you know, have watched every episode of every show and like read all the books and have played all the games. Um, because I'm like, I'm still moving towards that side, but I haven't finished watching Rebels yet. And I know that Grand Admiral Thrawn appears in that. So I know that he's important, but I don't know why. And this kind of made me feel like, well, oh, now I have homework to do. <laughs> yeah, I got to. So, you know, and you and I were talking offline about this a little bit, but like I some of the folks that I know that don't, have no idea, like their entry point to Star Wars is this show. Um, they didn't really put much stock into the name. They just figured, oh, this is a character, I guess, that's going to be important down the road. Um, but for anybody in the know, it's definitely, uh, a big name drop. Um, and I guess that's what, that's, that's why maybe you're, you're, you're in that zone at the moment, right? Cause I feel like maybe if you don't know the importance of Grand Admiral Thrawn, it's not such a big deal. Um, and I also feel like that this is just kind of, this whole scene is just set up for whatever Lucasfilm is going to try to do with the Ahsoka character. Uh, from here on out, because I don't think she's going to be restricted to just this show. Um, well, I don't even know if she'll come back in this show. I think she will, but I don't. I, I think they're trying to do something where they're trying to make Star Wars like a very interconnected universe across a couple of different either series or movies. I, I think that they see the formula working for for like the Marvel movies, and so they're trying to move into that direction uh, with Star Wars. I'm not saying that's exactly the case here, but. Um, yeah, name dropping someone like Grand Admiral Thrawn, which I guess I should probably get into a little bit of background as to who he is. Yeah. Um, but so originally, you know, let's let's wind the clock back to 1983 <laughs> um, after the release of Empire. Uh, sorry, of um, Return of the Jedi. Uh, there were a couple years with no like there was nothing else. There was no other TV show, no other movie or anything like any follow up to Return of the Jedi. Uh, they released a a couple of novels, um, beginning with a title called Heir to the Empire, which was basically the kind of adoptive uh, sequel to Return of the Jedi, where Grand Admiral Thrawn is, as the title implies, the heir to the Empire. So he's the guy that's leading the Imperial Remnant five years after the death of Palpatine. Um, and he basically stirs up trouble, tries to reconquer the galaxy, he becomes a primary antagonist to Luke, Leia, Han, Chewie. And they have this whole series of books. I think there's about three or four of them that cover that whole uh, timeline. So for a long time, this is what the sequel to the original trilogy was. And it was very focused on this character um, who's this blue-skinned, red-eyed... I think his alien species is called uh, Chiss or something like that. I, I could be totally butchering that name. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, he was a big deal. Um, after this, after the Disney acquisition of Lucasfilm, they kind of retconned that whole thing. So all the books and stuff that that had released before the acquisition were no longer considered any sort of canon. And so now we start off fresh, right? So they started incorporating pieces of that old expanded lore to legitimate stuff like the shows and the new books and novels. Right. Um, and Thrawn was made the antagonist for the back half of the Rebels series. So I think season three and on from Rebels, yep. he's the primary antagonist. Um, and you get to see elements of his character from before. Um, I read those books before, so I know a lot of the backstory of Thrawn. So I, and he's not the exact character that you see in the books that you do see in Rebels. He's mostly intact, but between the end of Rebels and then now uh, name dropping him here, he's back. <laughs> you know his character's back and now back to the place it's kind of like winding the clock back kind of thing you know where like before his introduction was five six years after uh return of the jedi with that book and so now they're kind of bringing it back to that timeline you know he's he's there's a lot of baggage there to uncover so at the end of rebels ahsoka seeking out ezra along with sabine 
that's basically the end of the series. Um, if yeah, you watch Ezra, Ezra, Ezra Brigger or Bridger is um is like a Jedi in training um who has like tendencies to pursue paths of the dark side. Um, so it'd be interesting to see him come back as well. Yeah, yeah, he Just and he's who haven't seen Rebels. He's the other protagonist. He's one of the protagonists in, in Rebels. I, I guess arguably the the actual protagonist I mean, of the show. Yeah, right. I think so. So you know, Ezra and Thrawn have been tied together because of the end of that show. Uh, so yeah, we're definitely getting him at some point. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be on this show, but just th- you know, that's as brief as I can kind of get. <laughs> I feel like I can get into more detail on it. Um, but I, you know, primarily there's a lot to. That that name is just heavy, um, so if if you're if they're planning on bringing Admiral Thrawn into the show, uh, you know I, I don't know if that necessarily is the the um, the tactic that they're going to use here, right? Or is Thrawn just another Moff Gideon that's out there also, also like leading another sector of the Imperial Remnant? I don't know, um, but yeah, this this is definitely one place where. For me, as a fan, I'm applauding it. But at the same time, you you bring up a really good point. For anybody else, I feel like there might be... If you're not in the know, then it might be something where you're like, is this something I should be latching onto or not? I guess for any casual fans listening um, that are checking out the show, I wouldn't put too much stake into this just yet. I feel like they're going to flesh out the Mando story, and this is more of a wink and a nod to fans to maybe build up for something else. Well, yeah, I think, like, my dislike comes from, like, a two-prong reasoning. So, one being, like, I know that he's more important, and I just wish I knew why. Um, Like, I know enough to, like, understand most of what's going on and, like, all the names that get dropped. But then it's, like, there's always more to learn, it feels like. Um, This is, like, reason number one why I didn't like it, but... I guess the real reason why I don't like it is that they're creating so many villains and looming threats that I kind of would wish they would save one of them for the next season and maybe like just keep two kind of going at the same time. So like if you already have the Boba thing going on and you already have Moff Gideon and his soldiers going on, I kind of feel like you should leave it at that and let us focus on that. Now I understand definitely what you're saying where this might just then be two things to lead to an Ahsoka spinoff is like understand where she's going and what she's after um, and like who she would be fighting in her series. Um, But it feels like it's a very large plot point to put into this episode if it's not going to be paid off at all in this series. Yeah, so I I think you know, and and I've alluded to this before, but I I think they're going the MCU route here, and I think this is equivalent to the Thanos after the credit scene at the end of the first Avengers, where you're gonna see some payoff. It's just gonna take a while to get there, and anybody who's like currently in the know is currently like, oh boy, I can't wait for this to happen. But anybody else not in the know is going to get acquainted from this point to the time that they're going to actually reveal him again this is just me speculating but i I just don't feel like they're just going to leave people out in the wind and expect you to do all that homework not recap anything um (laughs) you get what i mean though like i feel like this is the same route that they've taken with the mcu where like there's so much happening in every movie and anybody that's read comics you're like oh boy i can't wait for for x y and z to happen but anybody else that's not in the know or doesn't have any sort of hint as to the importance of some of this information is just kind of like all right cool I guess there's yeah, another person to look out for. We didn't really get that much history on Bo-Katan when she was introduced, other than that she wants the Darksaber to rule Mandalore. And I get they can't give us like a summary of every single Clone Wars episode that she was in, but they're, you're introducing a lot of characters that are, in, that, that are featured for one episode that were very important people in different series. And it feels like you're never going to be able to give them all enough time. Yeah, but I feel like you get enough information. Like in Bo-Katan, you didn't get a summary per se, right? But like you got enough. She says she's the last of her kind. She, you know, she, she, you know, alludes to knowing that 
knowing Ahsoka somehow, so she has a connection there. They they give you enough detail, but because she's not that important to the story at the moment, they're just not going to delve into it too much. Yeah. Same thing All with Ron right. here, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And I think we leave it at that just because we don't know where they're going to go with it. So it's all just going to be speculation. But, no, you know, I 100% know where we're going. <laughs> well, then we'll hear the next here step, first for sure. <laughs> the, the next step is Thrawn's going to show up and we're all going to have this giant battle. And this is where Portal's going to open up and Doctor Strange is going to be uniting all the universe together. Doing that thing with his hands that he likes to do. <laughs> <laughs> no but uh yeah <laughs> let's just leave it at that because i feel like i'm gonna go off on way too much of a tangent here i can sense it now um <laughs> but yeah i think the you know the ending of this episode is just like okay he's got another destination now he has to go to tython um which is a reference to the old republic um which was the i guess described as the location of the first jedi temple or like the where the jedis first came to be um, which shouldn't be mistaken for Luke's Island in Last Jedi. Um, I guess, yeah, I, this might go back to what you were saying, where they're trying to tie in like pre-canon stuff, pre-Disney canon stuff. Um, but essentially what they're just trying to do here, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but she hopes that like placing Grogu at the temple, like the front of the temple, um, will be basically like a beacon and send out like a message like a force user is here. Um, and my understanding of that was that it's it's a beacon in the sense that like it goes to everybody. So it could be Jedi. It could be anyone who's force sensitive on the dark side. Um, is, 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 am I right on that or am I totally off? Yeah, I, it, se- it basically seems like go to this place, put him on this altar and it'll send out a distress signal of sorts. Right, right. In in like some way, and then like her hope is that she's like, all right, somebody's gonna reply to you. I don't know who it is, but somebody will. It's the equivalent of saying like, that's not my job, but let me forward you someone else's contact, and then just remove me off the chain when you reply all. <laughs> yeah, basically, this is basically. <laughs> she just doesn't want anything to do with it. Yeah, she's CCing the whole company, and she's like, all right, <laughs> somebody's gonna here? respond. <laughs> She's seen the whole but, company after mass firings. <laughs> she's like, all right, let's see who replies. It's interesting to, that she's doing this, though, because it's like she just doesn't want the blame if it all goes wrong. It feels like. Right, like she could train Grogu, but she just doesn't want to risk that, like, she's the one who's going to train him. And then he ends up being like Vader again and <laughs> everyone just blames her. Yeah, so. I, I, I guess I, I should probably get into it because we're basically at the end of the, series, the end of the episode. But yeah, let's um, move on to predictions if that's where you're going. Yeah. So okay. So I'm a little split on this because I feel like she clearly like to me on my first reading I was like oh she's busy trying to track down Thrawn she doesn't want to really like tackle this right now right. Um. At the same time I also feel like this isn't the last time we're gonna see Ahsoka I feel like she will come back at some point in this show. Um, that said, how many Jedi are there, right? Because, like, between her, potentially Ezra out there, right? Um, and then the only, the only, only other one we can confirm is Luke. So, and one thing, my second viewing, when she says, you know, a, another Jedi will, will, will come looking for him, you, you start hearing the swelling of uh, Luke Skywalker's theme. And I, Star Wars is one of those properties that plays with music the way that anybody else would play at, like just dropping an Easter egg instead. Um, not to take it back, but like similar, you know, last week's episode when we got to the cloning facility, you saw a hint of the Snoke theme come up while they're looking at the at the tubes, and then here you get Luke Skywalker's theme playing when Ahsoka mentions a temple and that somebody, you know, another Jedi may come along. Um, are, I, I just kind of get the sense that we're setting up for the inevitable here, right? You're really talking about either it's either Ahsoka, it's going to be Ezra, or it's going to be Luke. And given Ahsoka's like hesitance, uh, and because and you brought up a good point, it's because she doesn't want another Anakin on her hands. Uh, I feel like Luke is inevitable here. 
yeah young Luke. it's it's possible for sure um i mean leia would also be out there since supposedly she finished her training right yeah um, i think right now she's knocking down luke at yavin four somewhere while they're training right <laughs> i think that's what's going on and then and then deciding you know what this isn't for me pulling in ahsoka um so and telling I think nobody there are, there are others out there though because it's you know, it's the same idea as we were talking about before, where Order 66 couldn't eliminate children that weren't yet identified by the Jedi Order. So it's like self-taught Jedis or whatever. Um, yeah, but it I did not notice either of the themes that you just mentioned. Snoke's in the last one and Luke's in this one, so I'll have to go back and relook at that. But assuming that that's right, it would make sense that they're trying to build a series that could ultimately lead to Force Awakens and kind of tie everything together and allow them to do spin-off movies in between that also fit those plots. Um, but I don't know. I that also then brings up the question of like, well, if it is Luke who finds him, I mean, was he nothing in Force Awakens? Is he dead by then, or is he gone, like doing his own thing? Like, what's going on? Um, and there would be a lot of story to tell there. Um, so I kind of feel like it's not going to be Luke. I feel like it's going to be Ezra, um, or a totally new Jedi that we haven't, that we haven't thought about that we maybe know or, or is just new. Or a Jedi that's really old is missing a hand and survived his fall from, from that tall Coruscant tower. Yeah, and I also want to point out that I do notice I just said every possible outcome, so that's not my prediction. <laughs> I'm just listing, uh, like, devil advocate that there's so many options for them to go for um, that it's not necessarily, like, it does, it's not binary. It doesn't have to be Luke. I feel like they, they kind of have to do address the Luke situation, though, right? Because at some point, by the time so you get to the... That, though. No, I know. I, I'm well. I'm not saying like on this show particularly, right? But like now that you have Ahsoka in live action, wouldn't it make sense for her to meet up with Luke at some point? Because right now she's carrying around the cynical thought of like, oh, Anakin basically died a monster. She doesn't know he was redeemed at the end. I guess, but she's not going to be there if it's Luke finding the finding Grogu. Yeah, I don't know. It it it, it seems like. A good opportunity to kind of get the two characters intermixed there. Although, uh, you know, not to get way off on the tangent, but like it, it would probably require recasting the role of Luke from Mark Hamill to somebody who's obviously much younger at this stage. Would they not CGI him just like in Rise of Skywalker? I don't think they would go for that. If they're going to make him a prominent part. That's also kind of why I don't think it's going to be him. And I think it's going to be Ezra. Because um, it seems like we've done good amount of representation from Clone Wars. And now we're starting to see some Rebels stuff, and that would just be a logical step for them to uh, introduce that, especially if they're introducing Thrawn. Um, because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, I didn't, I haven't finished the series yet, but Thrawn and Ezra basically end up, you know, going into light speed somewhere into the galaxy away, right? Yeah, they basically eat themselves into, like, the farthest corner of the galaxy. So if that's like, true and Thrawn's back, then okay, maybe Ezra's back too. <laughs> maybe if, if, if one made it back, maybe both made it back. Well, that's, I'm sure that's he, where my guess is going. Yeah, I'm sure he did. I just um, I guess right now I'm having trouble. I guess um, confidently saying that's we're definitely going to see him in this show versus it being like an Ahsoka spinoff of some sort. Ooh, you know what else I'm thinking here? Now I'm convincing myself and I'm getting my hopes up. So hold me to this, but the same thing I mentioned a couple episodes ago, how Yo, uh, sorry, excuse me, how Grogu has this connection to wildlife and animals. Did yeah. Ezra have that same thing in Rebels? He did, yeah, with wolves in particular. Wolves, loth cats, those like flying beasts. Like he had a connection there. I would, I wouldn't be surprised if that would be like a fitting teacher for, um, for Grogu. That is true. And and I think when it comes to formal Jedi, right? Like technically Ezra and Luke are formal formal Jedi. Ahsoka kinda is like the I'm kinda a Jedi, but not really. Okay. Yeah, and Ezra was 
trained by a Jedi Knight. Um, I mean, he his master was only a Padawan when during Order sixty six, but he was being trained by a master. But then, uh, I forget Kanan, right? Is his master's name? Yeah, uh, became a Jedi Knight through a vision in a Jedi Temple. So he is quote unquote classically trained as a Jedi, Ezra being the he I mentioned. That's true. But I also think like potentially since um Grogu's gonna be just sending out like a beacon, I think it's also gonna be setting up a Moff Gideon answering the beacon as well as Ezra, and then there being a bit of a showdown there. Yeah. Or, you know, if Palpatine is actually out there somewhere, like maybe that that's who answers the call kind of thing or they become aware of him i guess i don't know possibly yeah but yeah you're right i forgot that kanan was basically legitimized as a jedi knight through that vision right that's i wish you could get like an mba watching through that vision. today <laughs> <laughs> i wish you could get an mba through a vision or something <laughs> just like somebody being like yep you're you're good to go now does this need to yeah. be vetted by anybody no no, no you're good <laughs> I, mean, I can't really two. prove it. No, just get out of here, man. You're good. <laughs> just take two puffs of something, and there you go. You got your master's degree. It's as easy as that. That'd be but, great. Uh, that's going to be my prediction. Mark this episode down in the history books, because that's about to come true. Yeah. I, 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 I think you may be right. I, I, I think there's a, there's just, there's, this episode is filled with so much, and I feel like you... You know, as I we both kind of said in the beginning, there's a lot to unpack here, and I'm pretty sure we missed a couple things, right? Like, God, I, there's I, so much in this that we couldn't talk about, but uh, yeah, I love I like this episode a lot for the interactions between Ahsoka and Grogu, with all like the looks that they give each other of like understanding each other. I loved all the looks between um, Mando and Grogu, like looking like father son, and then when he was like, okay, I got to get rid of you now, but this is like break in my heart um so i don't think he's upset about taking on another mission because he gets to be with him longer um and then yeah like the action was just awesome it reminded me of the cartoon series but it's live action which is just even cooler to see yeah it, it was a great introduction to ahsoka and um you know i feel like we're finally kind of starting to get to a point where i feel like this show feels like it's part of the larger star wars universe yeah um and and i I like that and i also think that you know for as much as we can kind of get into the weeds on a lot of these things i still don't think that this show has crossed the line where we feel where i feel like it's just inundated with so much other stuff that it just kind of lost its way i feel like it still makes um you know there's still a clear direction to what the plot of this this actual show is and where it's going um that you know it's it's kept a good balance so I hope that that continues. I hope we get more answers um, in next week's episode. And I, th- I guess the most exciting thing for me, I have no idea what's going to happen in next week's yeah. episode or the episode after what that. I just told you. Other than that, <laughs> <laughs> I can take that to the bank, but everything else is kind of up in the air. <laughs> no, it for real is. And like we both said it last week, we are kind of happy that they've played out everything they've showed us in the trailer because now it's all just pleasant surprises there's nothing like we're holding on to like oh we know they have to go back to navarro like oh they've already played that card like there's nothing else that we are holding on to there right the the only other thing and and the one thing that i'm kind of still like uh, should we address boba is he still relevant like is, uh, is that all the boba we're gonna get for this season and did tamora morrison shave his eyebrows for no reason then i yeah i mean we can get into this now or later but i feel like we're not getting a boba payoff this year this season <laughs> yeah i don't think so either i feel like that was just a, a nod to fans of being like remember this guy <laughs> also the razor crest has been gotten so messed up this season it wouldn't surprise me if boba just gets there and he's like dude where's my, my armor and he's like well i kind of lost it when i crashed into that ice planet <laughs> <laughs> yeah i could definitely see that um, but I feel like that's a pretty good place to end it there, unless uh, there's anything else lingering that you want to talk about. No, I I, I think this is a good um, end point for this uh, for this episode. I, you know, like like I said, I feel like I 
could I could go on for hours about this episode, but um, you know, there's only so much you can kind of get into without also kind of starting to talk in circles here. So um, I, I thought it was a solid episode, and I, I can't wait for uh, for next week's. Agreed. Yeah, but if you guys uh, out there think we missed anything um, or want to just chat more about, um, you know, hit us up on an email behind the fourth wall podcast at gmail.com, fourth being the number, or hit us up on Twitter, BT fourth wall, um, fourth being the number there as well. Um, and yeah, we'll catch you next week for the next episode of Mandalorian. Awesome. Thank, thanks for listening.